but you know, I think when you think about deferring taxes in the future, you think about earning more and compounding it now. So that's what real estate does. If you can get 10% cash in cash on a real estate investment, that 10% becomes um, you know, around 14% if you think about not paying taxes on that present, that present value. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Today, our guest is Eng Tang from Tozi Capital. We talk about a few things today. Today, you're going to learn about a few uh, specific tax advantages that are available at, for real estate investors. We get into that a little bit later in the interview. Eng is also going to tell you about his story. It's it's truly, truly impressive from, from being born in a, uh, a refugee camp to now being a financially independent real estate investor doing big things in the United States. Really incredible. And he, he did a lot of impressive things along the way to get where he's gotten today. Really just so impressive. And um, yeah, the things that he's doing in real estate are, are amazing as well. And uh, you're going to learn a lot today about strategies that folks are using in real estate investing and tax advantages uh, that come along with uh, owning cash flowing real estate. And that's what we're talking about today with Ang Tang. If you do enjoy the show, take a quick second, go to your favorite podcast app, look up the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Give us a subscribe. That way you'll get every new episode, every new piece of real estate investing, cash flowing, escaping Wall Street content straight to your mobile device. If you do enjoy the show, please take a quick second, go to the Apple Podcast app, Leave us a rating and review, five stars if you don't mind. It's very much appreciated. That helps other people learn about, about the show. That helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast algorithm and it helps us grow. Plus, that also helps me feel good. I see every single review that you guys leave and I really appreciate it. That uh, lets me know that you guys are out there benefiting from the content, growing alongside us and getting your wealth away from Wall Street. Because as you know, this is the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and invest in Main Street. I am your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. I'm a real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. I love learning from folks with a ton of experience, with inspiring stories, with a lot of lessons to teach us and diverse experience and backgrounds. And that is what you're going to get today. So without any further ado, here we go with Hang Tang. Eng, thank you for joining us today. Hey, Taylor, for having me on. You have a really inspiring and impressive background, you know, from 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 soup to nuts, I suppose, from the beginning all the way until now. Uh, for our listeners, can you tell us a bit about you know, where you come from and what you're up to now? Yeah, and that's probably like a you got a few days, weeks. Uh, <laughs> I'll just hit the highlights. Great. Uh, yeah, I was. Like any classic immigrant story, <laughs> I was born in a refugee camp, Thailand. Uh, my parents are Cambodian, and they escaped the Khmer Rouge, which um, it was a pretty deadly genocide for Chinese Cambodians, which is what my ethnic background is. And I was just actually talking to my dad like a few weeks ago about his story of how he like hid during midnight as soldiers came and kidnapped the. Uh, the adult man. Um, and then uh, my older brother, who's two years older than me, was drugged during the march through the jungles as we were trying to like, yeah, evade the wow. um, soldiers. Really interesting stories. And I'd love to probably chronicle that uh, in some future book. Um, 
But for me, I remember very little of that. I grew up in a uh, refugee camp and I have some really adorable pictures of me in straw huts and cheesing chickens. Now I always think, how am I going to ground my kids? They have such a good life now. <laughs> <laughs> so I came to America when I was three and I grew up in Los Angeles in California. Uh, and yeah, a classic movie story of you know growing up pretty poor, hungry, and really driven to achieve um, economically for the sole reason of just trying to lift my family out of poverty. And that led me to really find that I was really good at math and data patterns analysis. I actually was um, day trading uh, when I was 16 uh, d- during the f- one of the like, two financial crises ago. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, it, it was a really great experience because first of all, I, I could see patterns very easily and I could t- I made quite a bit of money as well. And it was actually really hard to day trade when you have class and then you, you don't have internet on your phone. You had to go to the school library, log into, um, into your brokerage account and set that up and make trades. Uh, but uh, that, that, that carried me through to uh, Wharton, uh, the college I went to right after, and where I studied economics and data analysis and data science. And one of the things I, I use there for my, my stats um, knowledge is really playing a lot of poker. I was two-time champion at Wharton, and I paid my way through uh, college with my poker winnings, and then I became an investment banker, like any good person of that uh, mid-2000s would be. I should have really taken that Google job, probably. Uh, <laughs> who, who knew what that company was? <laughs> That's right. Uh, so th- then I went through the financial crisis again, another financial crisis. So probably wasn't the best time again to uh, invest in banking or banking in general. Um, but one of the great lessons I've learned from those experiences of you know making money and using math to find quick wins and finding data patterns is I actually didn't like that. I Growing up poor... Uh, growing up in a lot of need, it, it sucks to lose money because you, because you, you spend so much time and effort to to make it, to earn it, to uh, to to you know claw, claw your way out of you know whatever hole you're from, and when you have to put you know poker chips on the table, thousands of dollars, and and that's what it takes to actually make money. You know you can't you can't you can't bet like you're scared. Same thing with stock trading or investing in the market, you have to be very bold with obviously great intuition and great math and probability understanding. It just wasn't something that I liked doing. Uh, it, it just made me you know, anxious all the time. And right after the financial crisis, I bought my first investment property. I was at age 23, bought my first apartment, apartment building. And that really gave me a great feeling of, this is calm. There's you know, obviously tenant issues sometimes, but you get monthly rental checks, you get passive income relatively, and that I've been investing ever since. And now I run and own uh, Tozi Capital, a real estate investment company where we invest friends and family's money and colleagues' money and folks who I have been really trying to help understand the value of passive investing. Uh, and we've owned 110 million dollars of real estate as of uh, this month. Awesome. And you're just totally knocking it out of the park. And, you know, it's, I appreciate you condensing years upon years and, you know, 
uh, a couple days worth of discussion into just a few minutes there and, and really impressive and amazing story. And I sure hope you do uh, condense those, uh, your father's family's experience, your experiences into uh, that book, but that's a discussion for another day. And you have a, a, a great history more recently of teaching folks about passive income and tax advantages you've presented at uh, Amazon, Facebook, and Apple for their employees and, and advantages that they can have in passive real estate investing. And that's really what I wanted to uh, dive into today and, and some of the lessons that you've uh, uncovered and that, that folks in that you know, high-income W-2 type bracket are can generally benefit from. So let's dive into that and, and talk about some of the things that you've taught those folks at uh, Amazon, Facebook, and Apple about how they can invest and earn some uh, tax advantages. Yeah, it's one of my favorite topics. And I, if you go on YouTube and search my name, yeah, that that's like I probably presented five or six times on the topic. Uh, and I present to W two employees, tech high paid W two employees, software engineers, and also present to real estate investors uh, or folks in real estate. And so, and I'm always surprised or delighted when I can surprise and delight those folks as well. But my main sort of target audience is really helping people understand that there's a whole world of tax advantage investing and that primarily stems from investing in real estate, although there are assets that provide similar benefits. It's really about understanding that the tax code really incentivizes investments and using depreciation, which is really a borrowing of future losses to current gains, creating net present value, on cash flow and really if investing for cash flowing assets allows you to take depreciation and almost if if they're done right using cost tax studies and bonus depreciation not pay uh, taxes on ordinary income of of real estate income and i try to highlight that by really hitting home with my own personal story because i think i can talk about these Thoughts uh, or these concepts, and I can talk like a CPA. And I've talked to like probably 50 CPAs, and I've talked to at least half of them um, who were ex IRS employees because I really try to figure out, okay, am I going to get uh, audited for this? And, and I think it's, you know, when I try to talk about this stuff, I really talk from a point of view of I pay a lot of taxes. I don't like paying a lot of taxes. I want to keep more of my earnings. And for my real estate investments, and I've been able to snowball that and grow that. I, I grew up to a level uh, right before I left Apple, my last job, my last full-time job at Corporate America, where I was having more passive income than my active Apple income salary. And that and that was just pretty substantial as well. Uh, the passive income was also almost always tax advantage. I think I paid, a, when I did the math, I probably paid a total of 4% on total on my you know, total passive income, real estate income. I'm not where Amazon is, but you know I'll, I'll get there. <laughs> um, a funny thing with Amazon is that if you look at the 2019 tax bill or income taxes, um, around they they wrote off eight billion dollars of of income from depreciation. So they use the same strategies. It's depreciation can come off forms and real estate generates so much depreciation. And to 2017 tax law, it really allowed us investment investors to supercharge that. Nice. And, you know, one of the things that I think comes up when you talk about uh, depreciation with, with, I don't want to say newer real estate investors, but one of the pushbacks I think you get is, okay, well, when you sell, you eventually get hit with 
depreciation recapture on the back end. And that that rate tends to be higher than like long-term capital gains. How do you respond to that? How do you handle that question? Do you get that question? Uh, yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah. And, you know, depreciation for me is a tax deferral strategy. Same as when I try to relate to my audience, I always talk about what they do for tax deferrals. Everybody tries to do foreign case, max out their foreign case. That's really a tax deferral strategy. You're deferring taxes to the future and you're paying at a percentage rate and potentially tax go up. You hope you have a lower income, which is kind of ridiculous. Why would you want to have a low income when you're older? It's a, ta- it's a life deferral strategy, I feel like. Uh, but you know, I think when you think about deferring taxes in the future, you think about earning more and compounding it now. And so that's what real estate does. If you can get 10% cash in cash on a real estate investment, that 10% becomes um, you know, around 14% if you think about not paying taxes on that present, that present value. And if you can compound that and grow that at a 10% level every year again and again and do that again and again, then you've created a, a really nice momentum and compound I- I- impact. Now that depreciation that you have owed, because yes, that depreciation is essentially a deferral to when you sell. And of course, um, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about 10 term exchange in a bit, but it's really offsetting ordinary income. And if you're a high paid income uh, employee or you, know, you make a lot of money, then that is a fairly high rate, um, federal and state. But now you convert it to long-term and deficient recapture rates, which is t- capped at 25%. So you actually, you're converting a percentage rate from ordinary income to capital gains income. And, you, and you're converting it from present net today to tomorrow. And tomorrow could be five years from now, seven, 10, 20, whatever it is. And for real estate investors like myself, and hopefully all of you guys, it's never because you will always tend to exchange again and again and again until you pass away. And your heirs will have inherited a lot of real estate and they would be very spoiled, but that they won't be left holding a bag of tax liabilities because while you would have started potentially at $100,000 real estate and you've done it and you've done the exchange three or four times in your life, and that asset now is like a $5 million asset and your cost basis is zero. And you have, if you ever sold it, you owe a huge tax liability. When you pass away, all that gets adjusted to fair market value and no one is left holding uh, any tax liability. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, accelerated uh, depreciation cost segregation before from you know, recent, relatively recent changes in tax law. And another one that came up relatively recently is opportunity zones. How do you think about opportunity zones? You know, I'm I'm very far from being an expert on that topic, but it seems like there's a question as to are those really here to stay? Is that going to keep getting, you know, rolled over in the tax code? And what kind of advantages do they really offer to folks? What are your thoughts about uh, opportunity zones? Are you using them in your business and and how can they benefit uh, investors? I love this topic because it's such an unknown and new thing from 2017 tax cuts. Thanks, Donald Trump. <laughs> opportunity zones, first of all, I'm, I'm doing an opportunity zone, I'm doing an opportunity fund. And what I want to highlight is there's three major advantages of opportunity zones. One is you can defer capital gains on any type of capital gains, short-term, long-term, sell stocks, which for almost no other types of ability you can defer those gains. Maybe potentially DSTs, but that's a bit you know higher fees and a bit more complicated. 
you can do real estate as well. And sometimes it, it makes more sense to invest profits from profits interest from a, a real estate investment than a tangible exchange because it's much more flexible. So you can defer that up until 2026. So if you sold a bunch of Tesla stock, and I'm, I'm going to talk about um, a specific investor here who sold a lot of Tesla stock, made good money, and he would have had a huge tax liability. He would have paid $240,000 on a million dollar capital gain bill. Instead, he could invest that whole $1 million into an option zone, defer that $240,000 tax bill as federal, long-term federal tax if your short term is higher. And instead of paying it, paying it now, you pay it in the future, which is always good because you can compound that $240,000 and grow it uh, instead of investing only a frac- uh, portion of it. Now you've grown it. And in, in six years, you pay 10% less. So you still have to pay it, but you pay 10% less. And it's not on a percentage of the growth, it's a percentage of a fixed value that now, you know, based on federal uh, Fed Reserve policies of printing money all the time, <laughs> that money is, is just, just, you know, you want to print that money in assets. That tax liability is worth less, even if you owe the same amount, but you owe less. And then the best thing is after 10 years of holding that asset, you all capital gains of that asset appreciation gets eliminated which includes depreciation recapture, which means that if you've been cash flowing the whole time, which ideally that's what you're doing, you're buying cash flowing assets, that cash flowing asset, that cash flow would have been offset by depreciation. So you would have gotten tax-free income the whole 10 years or potentially eight because two years usually construction. And then typically if you've in a syndication or if you're in the investment, any investment, you have depreciation recapture, then you have to think, okay, I tend to exchange it which you know, can be inflexible sometimes. In this case, that gets wiped away because depreciation recapture is classified as capital gains. So now you don't have to pay any depreciation recapture of essentially all the net present value of offsetting that passive cash flow, as well as all the future capital gains, which hopefully after 10 years, your property would have doubled or tripled in value. If, if, especially if built right. So one of the things I wonder about that, I, I don't know if I've heard this addressed before, is okay, let's say, you know, you have that million dollars and, and $240,000 uh, tax bill, you roll that into an opportunity zone. But let's say you pick the wrong type of investment and you lose money. What happens to that old tax liability? Does that remain? Is that reduced by 10%? Is there any kind of adjustment, you know, I just want to say, you know, prepare for potential downside, right? What if, what if I make the wrong decision and I lose money? Am I in a situation where, okay, one, I lost money on that investment and two, now I've got to still pay that 240 or maybe reduce by 10%. I mean, what are the, any contingencies there? I, I think that's a really good point because I can talk about all the tax strategies and at the end of the day, it should first be a good investment. Just because this is an option zone doesn't mean I'm just going to do it. It should be something I would want to do regardless. And because an option zone is gravy on top. And if you think about if you sow that Tesla stock or whatever you have um, and invest it into any other real estate or even stocks, you say you sowed and put in stocks, there was an option zone. And then you grew it at the same 15% compounded growth rate. I've done this math. You can go YouTube and watch one of my slides. And, and versus compound, same growth rate of an option zone. But now you've but you've only been able to put 74% or 76% of your uh, profits into it instead of full 100%, pay that, that, that tax there in the sixth year. And then the exit, you don't have to pay that long-term capital gains of that the growth. 
the net difference would have been 50% more. You would have have 50% more growth. That means that I would have, you would have to have a 50% better investment than me just to break even on the taxes, which, you know, it, it gives me a little bit leg up, right? A lot of real estate investments do provide, you know, cash out refinance at four year, four year, five that allows you to then pay the tax liability. And one thing I do love about real estate is that you control the timing. It, the market does not control you as long as it is a cash flows and it pays the bills, which is the primary thing, pays the, um, the mortgage interest. And if your DSCR, that service cash ratio is healthy and usually, you know, for our investments, usually at a two or higher, I, I don't have to sell when the market doesn't like my asset. There's no need to do that. That means I'm not losing money, right? So when you lose money in real estate, that means something cash, uh, that means you're, 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 the market's turned on you and you personally, if you're buying an asset and you have to pay out of pocket for it, um, for the mortgage and interest, if it's not paying for itself, then, and then you lose your job, then you have to sell it. That's, that's unfortunate. And that's the conditions that maybe people who've grown up in California or New York or high cost of living areas have been used to high appreciating assets that appreciate very highly. But if they ever lose their jobs, if they ever lose their income, that was what was paying the mortgage. And they were thinking that this is good. It's going up 5%, 10% every year. I'm breaking even, you know, that, that's that's not the bar for real risk it should be. It should be making money and making money on the, on the gains. Yeah, absolutely. I imagine when you're especially dealing with uh, tech employees, uh, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, who probably have some real estate holdings in California that do not produce cash flow, but do have pretty solid appreciation potential as, as real estate you know, appreciation tends to go. Many of those do produce negative cash flows, but that's, there's that big question of what if you lose your job, you can't make the mortgage note on that investment property, and then all that appreciation might go out the out the window. Cash flow is really uh, superior, really the way to go. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Ang, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Sounds good. Let's go. Great. What is, first one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? My first investment was, I don't think it was like like my highest return investment, but I think it was my best investment from my perspective of, it gave me a blueprint to how I got to think about capital. Um, I bought it for $126,000. It was $350,000 a year before, before the crash. I bought a short sale. So I, I really was... Uh, got a little bit of a head start in you know always thinking about buying right, and ever since then, by the way, I've always bought directly from the seller. I've never used an agent, uh, even from this house I live in right now, which I bought last year. I've done that, um, and I bought many houses. The the first investment I bought, I I did a uh, a rehab, I refinanced it within six months. I took the cash out, I bought something else, and then I used it again as a bank account as it appreciated, and it always made cash flow. It made $1,000 a month, made $1,200 a month, $1,400 a month. It was a triplex in LA. And it gave me a really great feeling of cash flow. And that's why I really am a huge advocate of real estate investments or just other passive streams of income. Because not only does it give you financial freedom, even at the tiniest bit, that tiny bit of financial freedom gives you, makes you bolder, makes you more abundant mindset. You can go to your boss and make 
bigger demands that if you didn't have that, I would have felt a little bit sheepish or maybe a little bit, you know, um, like I don't deserve that yet. Or uh, what if I lose my job? And instead I could make those bigger risks. And then that's how I've been able to grow both professionally and financially, as well as uh, grow that. And then to a level where you know, that blueprint gave me the steps to uh, scale up my business. Nice. I love that. Well, we had the best investment. Now we go to the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Uh, I'm going to say it was probably my fifth apartment building because, it, it, and and I could say a corny answer of that, but I, 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 I had some really bad tenants and I realized that I should stop being my own property manager. <laughs> and I realized that I should stop buying California. And I realized that these tenant eviction laws are hard. Um, and I couldn't, you know, that's why I always now invest in landlord friendly states. And these, it gave me a feeling that this is not scalable. It was literally taking all my time, energy to what do this, like I could have done something different. So thinking about the opportunity cost is really something I've always thought about. And that, you know, that, that helped me understand how to go, go pivot next. But uh, from a time sink perspective, that was just the worst. Nice. Well, that's a great lesson to learn, especially uh, relatively early on that allows you to scale up and grow. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? I think partnerships is fundamentally the most critical part of doing any business because if you're thinking of this as the one and only investment, the only real estate you ever do, then you won't have this abundant mindset of I'm going to partner with somebody so I can scale my business. And so that's, you know, building that first iPhone, it's expensive as hell. That million iPhone, it's easy. It's just, you get so much profit margins, right? So scale up, partner, and and that allows you to reduce your variable costs, increase your, you know, profit margins and and really take all the best practices that you learn and try to do that with people who have complementary skills and experiences, whether you have time, they have money or vice versa. It's always, it's always you can always find somebody who needs something that you find. Nice. I love that. Well, Ang, thank you for joining us today, telling us about your story and teaching us these tax strategy lessons that uh, you've learned along the way. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about your company and the investments uh, that you provide, where can they find you? Please reach out to me at eng.eng at tozycapital.com. I love to chat about taxes and real estate. I have monthly educational webinars. My website, Tozy Capital, we always have a few deals for passive investors. And I'm trying to launch financialfreedomdecoded.com. And that will hopefully highlight some of the things I've learned along the way. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a second, leave us a rating review on Apple Podcasts. It's very much appreciated. That helps other people learn about the show. That helps us rank higher in the algorithm and all that great stuff. If you if you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we will talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.